Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 38 through 48. The title of the message is The Sermon on the Mount, Life. The Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is the way of death. It's not the way of of life. Much of the spiritual life points in the opposite direction from our own tendencies. That's why we're unable to lean on our own understanding, because our own understanding is tilting away from proper understanding. When we lean our own understanding that is tilted away from proper understanding, uh, then our world collapses. Today's text shows us how we must remove ourselves from our reasoning and gives us a bit of understanding of what our reasoning is all about and how we must depend on spiritual control to respond to certain challenges and temptations of our lives. We're going to see three areas today of of, uh, life's influence and how being led by our spiritual inner man can remove some counterproductive reactions of life. We have some natural reactions of life that are indeed counterproductive. When we lean on a spiritual understanding instead of our own understanding, then our actions and, and reactions become responses and they become productive. Here are the, the three areas that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at some lures in our lives. We're going to look at the love that should, uh, should guide our lives. And then we're going to see the logic behind uh, what we're saying today. Starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, Jesus is speaking. This is the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I'm not sure that there's a more difficult principle in Scripture to practice than what is given in these next few verses here in the Sermon on the Mount. It is filled with this particular principle passage that we've just read is filled with the lures of life, lures that pull us into bad actions and, and reactions. I got a text from my youngest son yesterday, and uh, it was a picture of the front end of his car. He just bought his first new car a few weeks ago, and it was a picture of the front end of his car and a teenager in a Silverado pickup truck with his music too loud and a couple of other teenagers in the car and the tailgate down, backed into the front end of his truck, of, of, of Paul's car. And Paul, uh, the first thing I said was, stay cool. And <clears throat> he said, I am now. And uh, so we texted back and forth a little bit <coughs> about, uh, about what was going on there. But I will tell you that it's, uh, it's a very hard thing to avoid certain lures in our lives. We are lured into things, and we're going to talk about that for just a moment, the, the lures of life and how that we should 
counteract the emotions that come to us by the lures of life. When you go fishing, you can use either live bait or lures. A fishing lure is an object that's attached to the end of a fishing line, which is designed to resemble the, uh, the look and the actions of the prey of fish. The purpose of the lure is to use movement, vibration, and color to catch the fish's attention so that it bites the hook. The lures are equipped in a certain way. One or more single, double, or treble hooks that are used to hook the fish when they attack the lure. Life is a lot like that. There are a lot of lures out there that, that show us, at least we think this is the way that we're supposed to react to it. And so we, we bite at the lure to find out that there's a hook on it, sometimes a double hook, maybe a, a treble uh, hook. It's too easy to allow ourselves to be lured into situations and attitudes that are not fitting for anyone, much less fitting for a believer. Our text addresses three lures and, and temptations of life. First of all, there is the lure of retaliation. And the words eye for an eye and, and tooth for a tooth come from an Old Testament passage and a law of Moses that uh, the people who were listening to the Sermon on the Mount knew very well. You can see those uh, uh, words in Exodus 21-24 or Leviticus 24-20 or Deuteronomy 19-21. They are called the lex talionis, and that means the law of, of retaliation. And this law was given to protect the innocent and to make sure retaliation did not occur beyond the offense. The way that the flesh is, is that, that we want to do more than equal the offense. We want to, uh, to one-up it a little bit. When we were kids, we used to play hit last, and uh, it really wasn't a game. Uh, someone would, uh, one of our brother, for instance, in my case, my brother would hit me. Usually I probably hit him, but he would hit me, and then I would hit him back. And then he would hit me, and I would try to hit him uh, back, but a little harder. And <clears throat> on and on it went until there was a full-out war uh, between me and my brother. That's kind of the way that it is with our flesh in general. We don't get over playing hit last. We don't get over wanting to be the one that gets the best of the situation. Jesus pointed out <clears throat> that while the rights of the innocent were protected by law, the righteous should not worry <clears throat> about their, their uh, claims to their rights. That, uh, that believers should have a different set of rules and we shouldn't be so preoccupied with hitting last and, and hitting harder. The author of the book, Dead Man Walking, talked about one of her heroes of faith and, and forgiveness, a man named Lloyd LeBlanc. And Lloyd was the father of David LeBlanc, a 17-year-old who was murdered by Patrick and Eddie Saunier. And when neighbors started harassing Mrs. Saunier for their son's action, Lloyd LeBlanc came to her house with a fruit basket. And Lloyd told Mrs. Saunier that he was a parent too, and he understood that she wasn't responsible for his son's murder. <coughs> LeBlanc tells how the sheriff had brought him to the morgue to identify his son's body. David was a beautiful kid, according to Mr. LeBlanc, 17 years old. He had been shot in the back of the head, and <clears throat> when the sheriff pulled his body out of the cold tray, Lloyd, who was very good with his hands and could fix most anything, looked down at his son and thought to himself, I can't fix this. This is beyond my repair. And so he began to pray. And he came to the line 
<clears throat> our Father <clears throat> in, in, in the uh, Lord's Prayer about forgiving those who trespassed against us. And he said, I just didn't feel it. And he said, but I knew that's where I had to go. And so that's where he went. And Lloyd embodies uh, what it means to avoid the lure of retaliation. His attitude was, I'm not going to let this anger and hatred kill me. I'm going to remain kind and loving. And forgiveness is a path. It's not a single act. And I'm going to walk that path of forgiveness. And I'm going to work on it every day. One's commitment to it has to be renewed every single day. And so it is that if we're going to avoid the lure of retaliation, we have to commit ourselves to the path of forgiveness. And we have to remember that it's not a single act, that it is a path, that if you're not careful, you'll trip and fall in the midst of that path somewhere along the way of your walk along the road. And so one of the lures that uh, in living the, the Sermon on the Mount life, the lure to avoid or the lure to overcome is the lure of retaliation. Here's the second one, the lure of representation. Now, what is the lure of representation? With all deference uh, to the many lawyers that we have in this congregation, we have a lot of lawyers. This is what I call the lawyer lure. In verse 40, it says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. One of the issues in our world today is how quickly people are willing to to either threaten or to actually file a lawsuit. There are many strains of attorney, and they all have good purposes. All of you have good purposes in the world in which we live. But the world is lured by representation. Uh, Some things matter, but not everything matters all that much. The world makes you think that everything matters all that much. Um, And and the the world tries to, to lure you in Uh, to becoming a part of something that that is retaliatory and and representative. All of us have lost our shirt at something. Uh, We have lost uh, an investment somewhere along the way. Uh, We purchased something that turned out to be a lemon or a money pit, and we just lost at it. I remember when I first came uh, to Tallahassee, I had uh, a whole lot of money, for me a whole lot of money, uh, tens of thousands of dollars, uh, in Cracker Barrel stock. And uh, Cracker Barrel is a great uh, company. It was a great stock. And I had put some money in and it had, uh, it had split and then it had split again and it had done so well. And the guy that, that led me into it said, uh, look, what you need to do is to buy Cracker Barrel futures. You need to take all of this money and put it in Cracker Barrel futures. And then uh, we'll see those futures go up and, and uh, you know, it, it will be uh, really a huge, uh, a huge increase for you. Well, in the course of that, somebody in in the Wall Street Journal wrote an article and said that restaurants were the worst thing that you could put your money into. And so Cracker Barrel began to tank. And if you know anything about the stock market, you know that the futures uh, tanks before the actual stock tanks. And so by the time the futures ended up and I had to sell the futures because there's a limited basis on it, I didn't have enough money left to take my family to Cracker Barrel. Literally. That's how much money I lost. I lost it all. I learned a big lesson about futures. Now, uh, I, I didn't like that the advice was given to me, but I didn't stay awake at night and still don't stay awake at night uh, thinking about getting even with that guy that put me in there because the truth is he, he, it was my fault. I made the decision, and, uh, and that was my fault. You, sometimes you just have to move on. 
Sometimes you just have to chalk it up. Certainly we have to protect ourselves against injury and loss, but all the while we must understand that life has a certain degree of injury and loss that goes with it. Not everything in life is going to work out exactly right all the time, and not everything that doesn't work out exactly right is actionable. And you have to consider the lure of representation. Here's what Proverbs 22.1 says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. And so there are some lures that are out there. And uh, again, I'm not dissuading any of you. If you need a lawyer, you should get a lawyer. And if, if something is really bad, you should deal with it. But I will tell you that this, you've heard this term, this litigious society that we live in, it's a very real term. And <clears throat> those words are, <clears throat> lawsuit words are used every day in our society today. And it's because we're not following the advice or the instruction of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. We're taking that lure of retaliation and taking that lure of representation. And then the third lure is the lure of resistance. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 41 and 42 it says, and if anyone forces you to go a mile, one mile, go with him too. Uh, Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now these are two very interesting uh, verses. Uh, What do they mean? Well we know what verse 42 means. It's a very simple thing. It says, don't don't be stingy with people who need your help. And uh, go ahead and, and uh, uh, give to those who need for you to give to them. Uh, but what does it mean to be forced to go a mile with someone? And instead of going a mile, go two with them. Well, that goes back to a practice of Old Testament and New Testament days. There was a, a longstanding practice of couriers who represented the king uh, being stationed along the way and And they were at fixed localities with horses, and they're ready for use to send royal messages. It was kind of the FedEx of biblical uh, times. And if a a man was passing such a post station, an official may rush out and and compel him to go to another station and do an errand for the king. Maybe the the normal rider had already gone. And so uh, he says, look, I need you to do this errand for the king. Now, this was called impressment, or you were pressed into uh, service. This very thing is the exact thing that was done when Simon of Cyrene uh, was compelled to carry the cross of Jesus. This is exactly the kind of thing that happened in Matthew 27, 32. And they went out and found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. Now, I cannot speak for you, but I, I have a certain resistance to being delayed. I don't like to be delayed. It bothers me to be delayed. The most expensive ticket that I ever got was in Georgia, uh, in Hendry County in Georgia, because I was trying to avoid a delay. I was coming out of Atlanta, and uh, I, uh, the, the, uh, the traffic was backed up. And who knows the reason for the traffic being backed up other than it's just Atlanta. And so it was all backed up. And uh, so I, you know, I counted on my OnStar, and I pushed on star and I said you know I've got trouble here can you route me another way and they said we certainly can and they routed me through Hendry County and uh, in the course of that routing I went by the Atlanta Motor Speedway and uh, it must have done something to me because as I I came by there I thought to myself well they can I can too and so I I went by there and and uh make a long story short, I, I got a ticket. And uh, 
And, and I got a serious ticket because uh, of certain circumstances. And I was going too fast. I was going way too fast. And, uh, and they had just enacted what's called a super speeder law. <laughs> How many of you have ever heard of a super speeder law? I want to tell you, a super speeder law is a law that's passed by demons and signed by the devil. I became victim to a super speeder law, and I had to pay a fine. It was a significant fine. It was such a big fine that I'm ashamed to tell you how much the fine was. But I will tell you this. Not many of you will spend this much on a Christmas present for the person you love the most in life. as I spent on that super speeder law that day. Now, all of that came because I didn't like to be delayed. I didn't like to be held back. I didn't like to be slowed down. Well, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, look, don't be lured into uh, feeling like that a delay or being inconvenienced or being made to feel uncomfortable is the worst thing in the world. Sometimes you can endure a little delay. Sometimes you can be inconvenienced a little bit. Sometimes you can be a little bit uncomfortable. Now let me make application to you teenagers down here. If you'll quit texting for a minute and just look at me. Uh, If your parents say to you, I need for you to take out the trash, here's typically what happens. Oh, man. You know, you just really, oh can't believe it, you know, that kind of thing. And so uh, you, you whine and moan, and finally, under the threat of, you know, having things taken away, uh, your life threatened and other things, you, you finally say, okay, I'll do it. Now, here's how that would play out in your life. Your mother says to you, I need for you to take the trash out of the kitchen. Here's the person that's following the Sermon on the Mount life. The teenager that's following the Sermon on the Mount life said, I'll be glad to do that. And by the way, I'm going to go around the house, and I'm going to make sure that all the trash is emptied in the other cans as well. Your mother says, well, what have you done with my child? That's exactly the way that thing is going. That's exactly what what, uh, the the Bible is talking about that. You're avoiding the the lure of, uh, of, of being... Um, of resisting the lure of not wanting to, to uh, do more than has been asked. So there are certain lures, and I must move on today. And uh, all of us have taken the bait of these lures. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but you've taken the, uh, the, the lure of retaliation. Somebody may have taken the lure of representation or at least threatened to do, do so. <clears throat> or you've thought about it uh, over a trivial thing. Or <clears throat> the lure of resistance. Now, the second thing and and the way to cure all of those uh, temptations, take those lures, is through love. That's what we see next in Matthew chapter 5 and now verse 43. You have said, heard it, uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now, all of us, all of this goes to the spirit of our lives, and it's quite the opposite from what we normally do. 
For instance, in life, there is a lesser spirit. A lot of people live by the lesser spirit. In fact, I'm going to say this. It's probably true that most of the world lives by the lesser spirit. Jesus tells this spellbound audience to look at life uh, much differently than what they had been taught by the Pharisees. They had been taught logical things. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Well, it's a natural thing. It's a natural thing to kind of take care of your own and to love those people around you. Here's what's not natural. It's not natural to love your enemies. It's not natural to, to love those people who want to do you harm. And, and the natural thing is to love who you like and dislike who you dislike and just leave it like that. Now, that is the lesser spirit. There are a lot of people who live by the lesser spirit. Do you live by the lesser spirit? You say, well, of course I want to be around those people who like me. Well, of course you do, and I understand that. But can you love those people you don't want to be around? Can you find a way to love somebody that is beyond your comprehension or even your likability level? I don't even like you. I don't like the horse you rode in on. I don't like your kind. I just don't like you. Can you go beyond that? And can you uh, uh, get out of that lesser spirit? Again, I wouldn't ask you to raise your hand, but if you were brutally honest with me and I ask you to raise your hand, how many of you have had the temptation or at least more times than not, you recognize yourself living the lesser spirit, raise your hand. There'd be many of you that'd raise your hand. I've lived the lesser spirit, but that's not the spirit that God wants me to live. God wants me to live the larger spirit. Here's what Jesus said. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The sermon is, is preached well, this sermon was preached well before the crucifixion. But Jesus already states his intention to live and to die by a different standard than other people live and die by. Even at the cross, Jesus was praying for his enemies when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's really the larger spirit. We have a lesser spirit and we have a larger spirit. You've got to live by the larger spirit. It's easy to live by the lesser spirit. Everybody lives by the lesser spirit. But there's got to be a larger spirit. You know where it comes from? It comes from the Lord's spirit. Matthew 5, 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on evil and good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. You know what? God's just good to everybody. There's a song that came out many, many years ago, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. And God is good all the time. You know what else? God's good to everybody. God's good to absolutely everybody. Somebody say, God hasn't been very good to me. They're they're just not seeing it right. God's been good to everybody. You know, we're sitting upright taking nourishment in a nice building, wearing uh, uh, clothes. I probably had a shower. Everybody had a shower this morning and Last night you got cleaned up and got yourself ready and then, and then freshened up this morning. And we're all at our very best this morning sitting here saying, God hasn't been very good to me. God has been real good to you. Real good to you. And God's good to you all the time. 
Look, we can make a big difference when we act more like Jesus than ourselves. Everybody in your neighborhood expects you to act like yourself. But when you act like Jesus, it makes a big difference. I think I may have shared this, I'm not sure, but Patrick Green of San Antonio, Texas, had a long history of disliking and combating Christians. This, this just happened this year. At one point, Green, who's an outspoken local atheist, threatened to sue Henderson County about the yearly manger display at the courthouse. He said, my wife and I never had anything, uh, a Christian do anything nice for us. Green said in a local newspaper interview. And all of that changed on March of 2012 when the 63-year-old Green learned that he needed a surgery for a detached retina. Green didn't have money to pay for the surgery, so he had to give up his job driving a cab. When Jessica Cry, a member of the Sand Springs Baptist Church, heard about Green's situation, she told her pastor, Eric Graham, who then called Green. And Green said, if you really want to contribute something, we do need some groceries. Green was surprised to hear from him. Green's situation, or <clears throat> Green kind of, of thought that he might see $50 or maybe $100 of groceries. But a few days later, the church sent him a check for $400. And then more checks soon followed after that. And Green was flabbergasted by the generosity of the believers. Here's what he said. I thought I was in the twilight zone. These people are acting like what the Bible says a Christian does. Now, rather than try to remove the manger display, Green said that he'd like to add his contribution, a star for the top of the manger display. That's the Lord's spirit. Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mountain. He said, look, all of you can have the lesser spirit, but there is a larger spirit. And from where does that larger spirit come? Well, it's it's the Lord's Spirit. And so have the Lord's Spirit. To live the Sermon on the Mount life, we have to understand and avoid the lures. We have to live by the love that, that God would have us to live by. And then finally, there's the logic. All of this instruction is to change the behavior that is, that is rooted in spiritual logic or to change our behavior to one that is rooted in spiritual logic. Spiritual logic is much different than the logic of life. When I was uh, in college, one of my most challenging yet favorite courses was logic and critical thinking. I liked logic and critical thinking. I, uh, I think I would have enjoyed being a lawyer because I think lawyers like critical thinking and, and I'm talking to a couple of my lawyer friends down here. They, they like, lawyers like critical thinking and logic. I enjoyed logic and critical thinking. However, spiritual logic is so different than logic logic. If you've ever done something or said something and people say, well, that's just not logical. You say, well, I understand that. <laughs> this is spiritual logic. After these instructions about retaliation, inconvenience, and how to treat our enemies, Jesus gives the logic of it all. In verses 46 through 48, he says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing than, what more are you doing than others? 
do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus says that loving those who love you and greeting only your brothers, he said that's tax collectors and pagans do that. He, he was really making a cutting remark for the people who were there. You and I might understand it like this. Anyone can be like everyone else, but it takes someone special to be transformed to be like Jesus. Anybody can hate your enemies and love the people that that love you. Anybody can do that. Jesus concluded this section by saying, look, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that cannot mean flawless because it is impossible for us to to be flawless. The word perfect in the Bible is, is a word that means mature and maturing. We are to be maturing as the Father is mature. In other words, every day we should try to be more like our Heavenly Father, to more like God. Our children become usually more like us every day. As children of God, we should be more like Him every day. Max Lucado writes about a big muscle-bound man named Daniel who was swindled by his brother, and that does happen occasionally. And he vowed that if he ever saw his own brother again, he would break his neck. A few months later, Daniel became a Christian, and even so, he could not forgive his brother. He just couldn't get over what his brother had done to him. And one day, the inevitable encounter took place on a busy avenue. This is how Daniel described what happened. Listen carefully. I saw him, that is, Daniel said he saw his brother. I saw him, but he didn't see me. I felt my fist clench and my face get hot. My initial impulse was to grab him around the throat and choke the life out of him. But as I looked into his face, my anger began to melt away. For as I saw him, I saw the image of my father. I saw my father's eyes. I saw my father's look. I saw my father's expression. As I saw my father in his face, my enemy became my brother. Wow. See, there it is. The brother found himself wrapped in those big arms, but not in a chokehold, but in a hug. And the two stood in the middle of a river of people and wept. When I saw the image of my father in his face, my enemy became my brother. When we can reach that place in our spiritual walk, then we're approaching the Sermon on the Mount life. Don't you want to live that life? There are a lot of distinctions that Christian people like to have in their lives. The things they will do, the things they won't do, the places they will go, the places they won't go, etc. But the greatest distinction for a believer 
It's when the believer can look in the enemy, in the enemy's face, and see the face of his father. Say, I cannot hate what I see in him. And they embrace what would be their enemy. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.